You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day, we study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church, and while you're there, download our free mobile app. There's a digital Bible on there that you can keep with you everywhere that you go. All of our teachings, there's an online community that we have these forums. You can go back and forth and pray with one another. And if you're listening to this program, anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. We don't want you to miss anything. I know we say that every day. I I mean it. I do not want you to miss anything because we are reading the gospel of Matthew and we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And as I expressed to those that were on the live stream prior, I'll express also to our podcast platform listeners here that it is so important to pay attention to the details of what's going on here and the progression of this interaction, because it's going to carry over into the next chapter. The next chapter, Matthew 24, which we will uh, get to uh, in the next couple days, is what is known as the Olivet Discourse, okay? Jesus is going to have a a very, very deep heart-to-heart talk uh, with his disciples, and we're going to go through that. But the reason why I'm hitting so so hard on this is because Matthew 24 is often very, very misplaced. And even what I'm going to position to you uh, in, in, in much of that is probably not going to be very popular because this misrepresentation of Matthew 24 is often seen uh, in the most mainstream of Christianity. And what I will say is that when it is misrepresented and when it is misapplied in some areas, you know, to us, what happens is, is how can I, how can I put it? I want to put it, uh, I want to put it gently, but I want to, I want to put it bluntly here. Um, We just, we just take scripture out of context and often we use our own newspapers as somewhat of a biblical concordance. So I want us to pay close attention. What have we been studying over the past couple days? Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees directly. He is saying, woe to you for all of these transgressions, and Jesus lists them out, right? You are misleading people. You are manipulating people. You are tricking people. You are making yourselves look clean, but right inside you are dirty. You're making bad promises to people in the way that you make oaths in the temple. And how you focus on the minute details, but you ignore the main issues that are going on. And we have seen Jesus go through the countryside as we have studied Matthew, and he is righting all the wrongs. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I know that you have learned this this way, right? One of the examples is, right, an eye for an eye. That's not the case anymore. How they should handle divorce. There's so many ways that Jesus is coming in and saying, hey, people of God, men of God, you have, you're getting it wrong. Again, the Pharisees, they took 10 commandments and made them hundreds. Jesus broke them down to two. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. And of course, the first, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. So Jesus is correcting a lot here. And what we've seen as we're studying is Jesus offering some very, very harsh words. And if you just get into the conversation like halfway, you'd be like, wow, Jesus is really beating them up. But let's be honest. They have been trying to trap Jesus for as long as we could probably remember. And we are over 40 hours into the study of of the gospel of Matthew. So now as we study the last, let's call it the last woe to the Pharisees, the final part of this chapter, what we are going to see is really what brings everything to a head and ultimately leads to the judgment of this, that generation, okay? But what we're also going to close out with today is we really see God's heart in the heart of Jesus, And I believe that we can definitely pull and apply this to us, but we really have to segment this. We have to acknowledge that Jesus is directly addressing that generation, and then we can pull the revelation for what it means for us. Amen? Okay, so we are going to be in Matthew chapter 23. And we are going to go 23 through, I think it's 39 today. We're just going to go straight through to the end. And remember how this all starts, and it's been starting. Woe to you, you Pharisees, what, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. He calls them you blind guides. Woe to you. But I want to recall just something that we said yesterday. When you hear the word woe, Woe is a rebuke, but is is also an expression of grief. And we're going to see why Jesus is ultimately grieving through all of this. You know, as parents, we know when our children mess up, right? What's the old saying? This is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. We don't like to rebuke and punish and discipline our children. And I want to present also here that much of the judgment and the discipline that God allows is for them, and I think ultimately sometimes for us to be left to our own devices. Sometimes the consequences of our mistakes, after God has given us many opportunities to turn the right way, are, are, consequ- are punishment enough. But thankfully, we serve a good God, a loving God, what a gentle God. So let's get into this study today. And again, we're going to kind of put what I planned on for two studies into one because I want to get into Matthew 24 here in the next couple of days, okay? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, is verse 29. You hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Don't we do this too? We look at the Israelites in the desert and we say, God parted the Red Sea for you. Are you kidding me? You didn't trust God in that situation? But how many of us, if we're really honest with our life, the things that we came across in our 
in our walk so far in this journey. And most of us have been through it and back. How many times did God part the Red Sea? And you and I are still here. And if he did it then, won't he do it again? Of course he will. Yet many times our faith stumbles and we doubt God. So I don't want to, again, just point to the Pharisees on this and, and, you know, throw them under the bus, although they've done plenty enough for that. Okay? But we have to acknowledge that this is a flawed human condition, right? God continues to save us and, and bless us and give us opportunities. And what happens when it gets difficult or when there's something that we want? <laughs> We're very quick to choose what we want. So Jesus points out here to the Pharisees that you say, well, if we lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have done that to Zechariah, to Elijah, to Isaiah. Yet, look what he says here. He says, so you testify against yourselves that you're the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and complete what your ancestors have started you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape Escape being condemned to hell? Okay, strong, strong language, but warranted. They needed a jarring. They needed for Jesus to point out that it was their ancestors that killed the messengers of God. Zechariah was stoned. Elijah persecuted. Isaiah was believed to be sawed in half. And let's not forget, John the Baptist himself was beheaded by Herod. Herod, who was the placement king of Israel. They stoned, killed, persecuted every one of God's messengers and they weren't done. They weren't done. Because we're going to see, as we go into the book of Acts, which is where we're going to head after the gospel of Matthew, we're going to see that God continued to send messengers. Let's Jesus prophesize this right now. Let's continue. Verse 34. It says, Therefore I am sending you prophets, and sages, and teachers, and some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues, and pursue from town to town. This is exactly what we see. When you study outside the Gospels, when you go through the epistles, the epistles are the letters that Paul and the, and the other apostles and the leaders of the church are writing and sending to one another you will see that they continued to pursue the church from place to place. The best example of this, perhaps, is Saul, right before he came, became the Apostle Paul. He was going from town to town, and he was killing Christians. Jesus prophesies this right here. He says, not only are you, uh, have your ancestors done this, and you lied to yourselves, you're going to do the exact same thing thing. He says, you'll flog them in your synagogues. You'll pursue them from town to town. Verse 35. Now check this out. And so upon you, <clears throat> excuse me, and so upon you come all the righteous blood 
that has been shed from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now I want you to pay close attention to this next verse. Truly I tell you, all of this, all this will come on this generation. Now I ask you and I to be intellectually honest here. When we read the progression of all this, of how they have been persecuting Jesus, how Jesus is correcting them and and truly embarrassing them. And now we read all the woes where Jesus is pointing out all the things that they are doing that are contrary to God. And we get to this point where he points out that they too are going to be guilty of everything that their ancestors did in killing God's messengers. And then he says this in 36, that all of that will come on this generation. If we're honest, how could we apply that to our generation and future generations? We have to pause here and realize that what is going to be laid out is going to happen to that generation of of men and that society that rejected Jesus. Now, what can we pull from this for ourselves? Is that God has given them many, many chances. God has given them messengers. And let's, you know what? I'm going to close this out, and that's how I'm going to close. I'm going to kind of turn it back on us. But I, I just, I know I probably sound somewhat like a broken record, but as we go into Matthew 24, and we and we listen to all these prophecies and all these things, and, and many of you have, you know, been watching Christian TV for a long time, so you may have a different perspective, but I just call us to look at the direct context of the original audience here to properly understand, okay? But let's continue, because I want to show you the heart of Jesus, and then we will pull the revelation for ourselves, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the heart that he has for them is the heart that he has for us. Let's continue. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this, that generation. But look at the way Jesus closes this out here. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings? And you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is acknowledging that he is going somewhere. Okay? But he points out here, You who killed the prophets and stoned those who I sent you. He says, I have. I have longed to gather you all together to protect you, to preserve you like a hen gathers her chicks together 
we see the heart of Jesus. And in Luke 19 has a very similar instance where Jesus looks over Jerusalem, and I believe it's probably the same account here. When Jesus is saying it, it says that Jesus wept. Now the woes make sense. There was a deep grieving inside of Jesus for those who would not come to the truth and those who would suffer under the judgment that was to come. What was the judgment to come? The judgment to come was that Israel would be left to her own devices. And a date that I have mentioned many, many times on here, I want to call to it again because we are going to have to acknowledge it in history. Just a generation after this interaction, Rome sieged the temple, sieged Jerusalem, and killed almost everybody, if not everybody, inside of that those walls. No one was spared except for the ones that trusted the words of Jesus, which we'll get into. But I just want to pause for a moment and maybe even end with this to acknowledge that Jesus is lamenting over his children. Again, he's called them brood of vipers. I know he's called them hypocrites. I know he's called them things. But truth be told, Jesus loves these men, these religious leaders, these ruling class of people that are rejecting him just as much as he loved the leper, just as much as he loved the tax collector. He just didn't see it. So we see the heart of the father here weeping over the fact that they won't turn back to him. And what this really boils down to is a mistake that we make often in saying, yeah, but I don't want to be saved that way, God. Remember, they wanted a Messiah that was going to come in and rule like King David, rule an army that was going to take over the the land for them. They didn't want a Messiah that said, turn the other cheek. They didn't want a Messiah that rode in on a donkey. They didn't want a Messiah that said, love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemies. They didn't want a Messiah that said, hey, it's not an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Love people, forgive them. Heal the sick. Approach the leper. Go touch the leper on the face and heal them with the power that I give you. They didn't want that. They wanted to rule their own kingdom and then rely on God to supply them in that. Jesus was presenting a way out. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We come to the Father through him, as he expressed in John 14, 6. But the heart of the people were, I don't want to be saved that way. And I know many of us have heard the story, right? There was, a, there was a flood coming, so a car pulled up and went to the homeowner and said, hey, jump in the car. And then all of a sudden the, water, the homeowner says, no, I don't want to. And then the boat comes, right, and says, come on, jump in the boat. And then the owner says, no, 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 God will save me. And then next thing you know, the homeowner's on the roof, and the, the water is that high, and then a helicopter comes, and the, the homeowner says, no, 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 God, God's going to save me a different way. And the helicopter goes away, the person dies, and it gets to heaven and says, God, what, 
what, why'd you leave me out there? And God says, what? I, I sent you a boat. I, I sent you a car. I sent you a helicopter. So often we don't want to be saved in the way that God wants to be saved. Why? Because there's something about our own kingdom and our own life that we want to preserve. God wants you healthy. But you're, the health that you strive for is probably found in the fruit of self-control, right? Many times the fruits of the Spirit are the way to the deliverance and the healing and everything that we need. Control yourself. Control your diet. Control your habits. Control your things, right? God wants peace in your home. Well, the fruit of gentleness may be the way about that. Maybe we are so quick to be angered that we don't make a way for gentleness. Again, Jesus took a lot of abuse. I'm not telling you to allow yourself to be abused. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is there ways that you can better apply the fruit of the Spirit, the the example of Jesus? He let the rich young ruler just walk. But he also let the thief on the cross He took one and what? The other one that didn't want anything to do with him, that mocked him, you know, he he let let it be where it it was let be. You think that other thief could have been with Jesus in paradise that day? I guarantee you he could have. And how do I wrap all this up? That God loves you deeply. He loved these men, although he said, whoa, although he said, right? Sometimes we don't like when people tell us things that that we don't want to hear. But the fact of the matter is we see that as he laments over Jerusalem that he loved that him and all these people very, very dearly. And God loves you very, very dearly. But maybe there's something in your life where God is trying to save you and get you out of a situation in a certain way, and it's not the way that you want. And the outcome is not going to be as good as it could be. Because his ways are not often not our ways. Most of the time are not our ways. When I try to do things my way, I often just delay until I finally do it God's way. And this could be about your overall salvation. I've talked with people on the street and you have shared the gospel with them and said, are you ready? And they say, well, and they're completely honest. I am not ready to stop doing these things in my life. But it's important to know that God will accept you right where you are today. He's not looking for perfect. He's looking for willing. So if you're struggling with something, understand you do not have to wait until that thing is totally eradicated out of your life before you give your heart to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I will say, most of the time, Things will not work under your own strength and power. You need the strength and power of the Almighty Father. So I encourage you, give your heart to Jesus today. The grieving of the Holy Spirit is not something that, you know, you're condemned to hell for. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, it's because we're seeking solutions that aren't God's solution. 
that we're trying to fill the voids in our life with things that God never intended. Jesus wants to fill those voids. Jesus wants to work through your anger issues, your addictions, your depression. But you got to put it in his hands. You have to make the declaration that it's not by my will, it's by your will, because his ways are better than our ways. At the end of what we can do, begins the infinite possibility of everything that God can do in your life. So I encourage you with the things that you struggle with. Realize that most of the time your role in your salvation, your sole role is just saying, God, I got to trust you in this situation. Let's just pray that today. We're going to sit pray a prayer of redemption and salvation and redemption uh, not redemption but uh, rededication today say Father God I can't do this myself I no longer want to do this myself I trust Jesus say Jesus you are my Lord and Savior in whom I love whom I have my being. You define me, God. Through your son, Jesus. When he walked into that city, they cried, Hosanna, save us. Just say that. So you're the only one that can save me, Lord. And you're faithful to do so. So I'm confident in you today to be healed and delivered in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church, Deer Park, New York. Come and visit us in Deer Park, New York. Check us out, soh.church. This is the 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We go out and we do something amazing. Do something amazing today. Be bold and confident knowing that your Savior lives. I love you guys. We're going to continue in the next couple days with Matthew chapter 24.